you've been with us, we've been, uh, several weeks we've been going through a series we call Struggling to Believe. Um, and my hope is that across this room that we would have diligent seekers, those who want to know the truth. And today as we look in the scriptures, my, my prayer for us this week is that we would find that truth and be able to embrace that truth. I believe there's probably people here, probably the majority of people here may be those who have already found the truth. And there are those here and those who are gonna be listening uh, online that are really struggling. And uh, they've, been, they've been looking for these things of God and things have not gone well along that journey. And I would say even for us as Christians, there are things that get in the way that cause us to struggle to believe. Amen? And although we're good churchy folks, and y'all look great today, by the way. Well, most of you do, but for the most part, you look good here. I mean, you know, we're about to take communion. We're giving our offerings. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But I would imagine with most of us, when we go home, there's still some struggles to believe. And one of those struggles is the, belief, the, the, the struggle that we have when we run into hypocrisy. As we see in, in people, maybe our neighbors, the people at work, um, our family members, people that we respect and honor, we see that they say one thing, but they do something else. And if we're really honest with ourselves, We've seen that in yours truly. I mean, when I say yours truly, I'm not pointing to myself. I'm really saying that about yourselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where we, we say, I believe in this God who redeems. I believe in this God who breaks every chain. I believe in this God who is sanctifying me, but I am still messing up on a regular basis. And so we even look at our own hypocrisy and it causes us to doubt, doesn't it? Amen. amen. I'm just saying amen for me. That's your own amens, whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> so I, I remember when I was uh, Mr. Gaddy's pizza delivery guy. And my boss was good Christian man. I went to his, visit his church and he was preaching the gospel to people at work. And I was like, man, this is a great place. I love to be in this like this secular environment of delivering pizzas. And my manager is sold out for the Lord. And so I worked under him for three summers delivering pizzas on my little station wagon. And then one day I got to work and he wasn't there anymore. And I said, Where, where's the boss? He said, well... They found out that he was shaving hours off of this, everybody's uh, time in the computer so he could save money on payroll. What? <laughs> like we had this thing going, you know? And all those people he's preaching to are going, see? Like, ah, right? For others, it, it may be a neighbor who on Sunday mornings, their car, car's never there because they're at church. You know they're good Christian people, but whenever you meet them, they're so grumpy. And, and they mow like not the whole line. You know, they like 
two rows short of where they should be mowing so your grass looks uneven? You know those people? Yeah. And, and, and they, you get discouraged because these are supposed to be great Christian people. Maybe it's even more close than that. It's your parent who teaches Sunday school, uh, who's a, a deacon in the church or an elder in the church, and at home, they're a different person. Abusive, puts you down. And so you wonder, how, how can you say this or live like this? So we come to this God who is promising so much, yet his adherents, those who follow after him, seem to produce so little. That's a struggle. If we're going to be honest, it's a struggle for all of us, and we need to address it. The truth is, though, this has been going on forever. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 2, we hear like some of the terrible perpetrators of this. We, we hear about the priest, whose name is Eli, and he has two sons. And these two sons, who are supposed to be leading out in worship, I mean, they are the worship leaders. That as people come in, they're, they're cheating on the sacrifice. So people are bringing sacrifices in. And they're like taking the choice pieces and they're not using the sacrifices to worship God. They're only taking the sacrifices to fill their belly. And then as people say, hey, this is not fair, they say, do you want me to kill you? And they're like, all right, keep going, you know. How does that not disrupt your whole view of what worship is when the guys that you are bringing the sacrifice that are help, helping you reach to heaven are threatening you and taking your stuff and using it for their own pleasures. And not only that, they were sleeping with women that were coming in. They were abusive and violent. They, were, they weren't fair judges, so when you'd come to them, they'd put a little money in their pocket and you can get your way. And these are the religious leaders. They hold all of the, the religious relics and the ways to God. And they're acting like this. How can you have faith in that kind of situation? How can you believe in that kind of God when those kinds of people stand between you and him? Hypocrites. Today, I want to start by talking about two kind of categories of hypocrites. Those that, the ones that are near to us, our next door neighbors, um, our, our parents, the people that we work with. And, and also, like, the church as, the, like, the big church as hypocrites. So how do we view these things? How do, we, how do we view, how should we view critics? And so if you are a, a fair and reasonable seeker today, I think that we have to, we have to move past just the, the mask of hypocrisy and, and unveil that. Like, what are we really talking about? Why is it that, that people act like this? What are we looking at? Well, one thing we have to, to recognize especially as you're just now coming into Christianity and you don't have too, you haven't gone very far, is that sometimes we look at people who say that they are Christians and they live a certain kind of life. They don't seem to care about uh, the world around them. They don't seem to care about you. They, they, they speak in all kinds of ways. 
but they claim to be Christians. And then you have some neighbors who don't claim any of those things at all, and they're a person that you like to really hang out with. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're kind, peaceable, sensible. They'll share food with you. You know, they, they care for you when you're, you're sick. And they don't claim anything. In fact, they're just like irreligious kind of people. They may just like get wasted on the weekend or whatever, but they're really nice, you know? And so you have like, I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, how to figure that. Shouldn't these people be a lot nicer than these people? And these people ought to be... So we run into that. And so a, a faith, a, I think a faithful, a reasonable seeker is coming and saying, why should I ascribe to what your God is saying when it yields no really, no difference between the worlds? Right? And so we all say, kind of gulp at that, like, that's true. I mean, that's a fair argument, isn't it? And then you look at like people that you have great respect for in the church, whether it's like in your church or you've had uh, other experiences, maybe even it's like that great uncle who is a great spiritual guy or that, that, that sister-in-law who's a real spiritual you know, hero, like you want to model yourself after them. Or it might be a great religious leader, uh, you know, someone that is on TV, but has good theology, and is just smart, and, and is really in the Word, and it helps you so much, and those people fall. And you go, what? <laughs> I mean, these aren't Eli's sons. These are like respectable, good people, and my heroes have fallen. Anybody had experience before? Or people that you really loved fell? And a reasonable person, and they come and seek, and they say, yeah, but what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? And we have to go, ugh, I don't know what to tell you. Let's, let's make it worse before we make it better, shall we? How about the awful church? And I'm talking about the historic church. Presently today where the church oftentimes is accused of being silent and indifferent on very important issues that our whole community faces. Whether it's racism or it may be, I'm gonna, I know some people get excited about this and come talk to me afterwards. Like children at the border. I know, I said it, wow. Why would you say something like that? I don't care how they got there. I do care how they get there. I don't care who built these things, but like it should disturb us that there are children at the border, right? I mean, shouldn't that disturb us and cause us to say, what should we do? And so people look at the church and say, the church is silent and different. You don't even care about these things. We should care about those things. How about the, the abuse of power? The, the abuse of power within the church. We hear about priests. We hear about pastors, we hear about youth leaders, those who have positions in the church, yet it seemed to be convicted left and right for sexual abuse or from stealing from the church. Political, political people who call themselves Christians, yet they, they act in all kinds of wrong ways. Our the denomination that we belong to, Southern Baptists, have a spotted reputation. Do you know why Southern Baptists are Southern Baptists? 
They used to be all Baptists together, but then they, se- they separated because over the issue of sending missionaries to the mission field. And so the Baptists would not send missionaries that owned slaves to the mission field. See, I know, I'm, I'm just opening up cans of worms, just pouring them out. And so the Southern Baptists left the Baptists to start their own denomination so they could continue to send missionaries to own slaves. So you could say, well, <laughs> that doesn't sound good, right? Baptists have later come back and, you know, give an apology, but that's, that's the history. Think about in the, uh, the Crusades in the 1200s. Like, that's the, that's the big one, right? Why would Christians act like this? Where we sent, there were the church sent out, the Latin church sent out nine crusades, mainly to go towards taking land that had been taken by the Muslims, but also they killed Jews along the way, they killed people of other denominations along the way, using the sword for their own purposes. There were quasi-spiritual, <laughs> but political. And the Crusades are probably worse than you think, if, that's, if that's possible. The Crusades, uh, the reason they could kind of rile people up is there were was, there was some really good preachers. Uh, Pope Urban was one of them. And he gave a convincing proof. And the church also offered to you, if you would go on these crusades and risk your life and get glory for the church, then you would also be given free indulgences. And sometimes your debts would be removed as well. What a deal. And then there were these preachers who would preach, and there are people who have visions. And they even had one crusade. It's called the Children's Crusade, in which... Uh, supposedly uh, in two different places, these young children had visions and Jesus spoke to them to go on this crusade. And so they rallied children and 30,000 children went on these crusades. And so they went down and they believed that as they they went to the ocean that it would part like Moses and they'd walk across it. It didn't part. And so there were ships that picked them up and instead of taking them on the crusade, they sold them into slavery. Yeah, So when people say, I have a hard time with the church because it's hip- hypocritical, it's just like every other institution, they can look at these things and say, yeah, that's a real danger. The 1200s, when Spain sent over conquistadors, they sent over uh, uh, Pizarro, and he went, and there in he had a hundred men with him. They brought their horses, they brought their priests, and they came and subjected the Incas, hundreds of thousands of people, to take their gold. And you could come become a Christian by the edge of the sword. Then you have Cortez and the Aztecs, same thing. Christianity. That's all I have for today. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was, <laughs> please, say something else. This week I was visiting with uh, one of my friends at Faith Mission. He said he used to work at a mill. 
And uh, at this mill, they would take uh, pieces of, of metal and they would cut it to size. He said, now this particular job his friend had, it didn't have to be exact, it just had to be kind of close. And so uh, he was running the metal through the mill and he ran several batches and then the inspector came. And when the inspector, inspector came, he looked at them, he measured them, and he said, we're throwing them all out. He cut them to size. What happened? Well, he went and then got the bowed stick that he was using as a guide and realized that that warped stick was an inch short. There wasn't that much freedom. Everything was thrown out. We need to be careful. For those who are reasonable seekers, to be reasonable. That if you are looking at Christians as your hope, you're looking at a warped stick. Some are more warped than others. Uh, some of you had that, uh, that uh, Colorado experience where you've gone into the mountains and there's a stream and you, in the back of your mind, you remembered in third grade or fifth grade, you talked about the, the gold rush. You, you know, and you walk past that stream and all of a sudden you see, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have been there. You see the gold in the river, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, how lucky am I? Has anyone done that before or was it just me? No, okay, just me. You're like, I am going to be rich. So you go and you sort of like figure out how to pan, you know, and you're, you're digging stuff up, putting it on the shore and trying to get these little flakes of gold. You're going to be rich. And, and you get enough of it and you go to your dad and you say, I paid for the trip. And he says, um, where'd you get that? Oh, I got it in the stream over here. And you're just so excited. And he says, it's not gold. Oh, no, it is. Look how shiny it is. It's not gold. That's, that's iron pyrite. That's fool's gold. But it's so shiny. And you think to yourself, surely this still has some value. <laughs> if I get enough of it, somebody's going to buy it, and nobody ever buys it. One thing that a faithful seeker needs to understand about hypocrites is that some people who say they are, are not. Some who say that they are Christians are not real Christians. They've never given their lives to Jesus, really. They're religious people. Jesus says in, in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, that you shall know them by their fruits. And so oftentimes what we're looking at is not really hypocrites. We're looking at those who pretend are acting out, but they are not true. We have to be careful to see that there are those who are sinners who are acting badly, and they're truly just bad actors. And some of the people who come to church are not yet saved. They're not regenerated. They're not new creatures. So if you're going to be faithful in this quest, know that as you go along, you're looking for true Christianity. You're looking for, you're looking for gold. There's going to be some fool's, fool's gold along the way. Second thing we need to know about hypocrisy, that religion as a whole can be used as a tool just like any other ideology. 
Marxism, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, all of these ideas can be used and have always been used as a tool of those in power to do what they want. And so they can manipulate the tool of Christianity for their own political purposes. This is what the Crusades were. This is what the, 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 uh, the conquistadors were all about. It was using the things of God as a tool for yourself. Religion can be used as a tool. Another thing I'd like for us to think about as faithful seekers, that as we look at Christians, we are not seeing people who are perfect. We are seeing people who are being perfected. If you're going to be a faithful seeker, be aware that we are all hypocrites. We are all are holding to something. But that doesn't mean we're the same people that we were. And, and so when you have your two neighbors, you may have this one neighborhood, neighbor who's a great guy, a great gal, and they've grown up in a strong family, and, and they've got a good job, and things have gone well for you. And then you've got this other guy here who may have not lived like that at all. They may have just come off the streets, and they may be dealing with overcoming addiction, overcoming, and they've come so long. And, and so sometimes we look at their glory, but we don't know their story. So as we look at the people of God, recognize that all of us have a story. And so you may see us, and we may be doing some level of good or bad, but know that those who are true Christians are being sanctified, and we may not be what we want to be, but we're not what we used to be. So if you're going to be a faithful searcher, and you see those people who are hypocrites, know their story. They're probably a lot further along than you can imagine. That doesn't make us feel that much better because they still hurt our feelings and do us wrong and we don't get a true picture of who they are, of who God is when we look at them. And finally, I'd like you to see this, that God is being patient with perfected saints. And God is being patient for even those who are fool's gold. And that you want God to be patient with you. It's going to keep getting better. Hey, hold on. Come on, come on. What attitude then should we have as Christians? How do we keep from this problem of being hypocrites ourselves? That's going to be tough. The word in Hebrew for worship is shacha. I know it doesn't sound very exciting. But what it means is, it means to... Put yourself face to the ground, laid out in front of a superior. That's what it means. It means to humble yourself before God. And it's a reflexive word, a reflexive word, a verb, which means the action is being done to itself. So it's something that you do in order to bring worship to him. Did you catch that? It's something you do to yourself to give worship to to him. And so the attitude of those who are followers after Christ is we are always having to be reminded to come back and worship. Because we usually walk around like this, but we need to be laid out before God, humbled before him, recognizing his superiority, 
our inferiority and our need for him. That's what it is to be worshipers. And so we as a people of God need to become great worshipers. We need to be regularly saying, I have messed up again, and I have done it royally before the king, and I need your forgiveness. That's the attitude that true worshipers have. You know, people who are seeking and find people who are unfaithful, but find them to be humble before God, they can excuse a lot of that. They're like, that is different. They're asking forgiveness. They are seeking repentance. Micah 6, 8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the attitude that we are to have. God is calling the church always to repentance. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, for us always to be suspicious of the status quo. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, as he's talking to his people, listen, listen, listen. I know you heard it said, but I now tell you. He says this over and over again. I know that y'all are kind of under this understanding of how things are, but I am here to tell you I'm to correct those things. Listen, these are just a couple excerpts from from Matthew chapter 6. He says uh, in the first verse, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not left your left hand, know what your right hand is doing, so you may be giving in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is calling his people back to a life of uh, not being hypocrites, being humble before, before him. Chapter 7, judge not that you, not, you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me, see, let me take the speck out of your eye? That's so nice of you. When there is a log in your own, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Humble yourself before the Lord, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you're going to be a faithful seeker, know the life of a Christian is one who humbles themselves before God because they know, we know, we are sinners in need of continued grace. I don't want to say this without mentioning, there are really strong Christians that many of us have followed after. Amen? And they still haven't fallen yet. At least is what we've seen. The way of Christ is a way of redemption. In a few weeks, I get to go, and one of my heroes has fallen. And there are a group of pastors who are coming behind him, and after a a year of confession, repentance, remorse, and correction, we get to go to him and we get to say, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven lost all of his ministry, lost, lost everything. But he still gets grace. You know, I was telling you about the friend that uh, worked at the steel mill, and he said, you know, that guy had a, 
He had a, a warped standard. But we had something else. We had something called a Joe Block. Have you heard of a Joe Block before? A Joe Block is a piece that is milled to the millisecond, just the perfect, you know, just lasers and all kinds of things. It's perfect. He said he should have used the mill block, I mean the, the Joe Block. He would have gotten them right every time if you would have done the Joe Block. It's perfect. Christianity is not about warp sticks. It's about the Joe Block. The one who is perfect, who got it right, who came to this earth and lived perfectly. He said, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he humbled himself. He said, the greatest in the kingdom will be the least of these. And he kneeled down and he washed dirty feet. He hung on a cross and died in our behalf. This is the Joe block. If you want to know about Christianity, don't look at warped sticks. Look at Jesus. He is our salvation. He is our hope. And he does great things in our lives. And so if you are a faithful seeker today, whether you're on the outside looking in or whether you're someone who's just, who's in faith but you've been discouraged. Some people have been so discouraged they just walked away from the church. And I want to encourage you, there is a way back. Jesus is still calling. The Father is still waiting for the prodigal to come back. And he's saying, come, come home. I am waiting for you. I am waiting for you. For the, the Christian now who, who has been wearing a mask, and you just know it. You just know, like, and I feel like there's going to be most of us in here. Lord, just crush the mask. Let us walk in humility. Let us also know about each other that we are saints in progress. And be patient with each other. Forgiving, gracious, caring when others fall. This is the way of the gospel. This is the way of Jesus. This is what he does. He brings about grace. He brings about healing. He changes people's hearts. So stop running away and run to him. Let us not focus on warp sticks. But let's keep our eyes focused on our Savior. He promises and delivers that no other God, no other way of life can come and follow him. Let's pray.